0: This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. I just want to review a little bit. Um, You know, we started this series just a few weeks ago, Made for More. It's a study for the book of Ephesians. And uh, I want to remind us that um, Ephesians is really a a book that's constitutional when it comes to the church. uh, The principles of written and, and what's written there stands the test of time. And it's not written to a specific problem or per specific issue that Paul was dealing with in the church or other elders were dealing with the church. It's really this this framework by which churches can look to today as much as they did the first century church to, to be a guide, guidepost for them. And also it's universal. And what I mean by that, it's, it's universal because it's for the mega church that are, that are thousands of people uh, big, and also for the brand new church that just popped up maybe in the coffee store in India somewhere uh, this week. And so it's one of these things that's both constitutional and universal. And, and the great thing about the book is kind of broken in two halves. The first half is really we see the gospel story and we see our position in Christ and who we are in Christ. And then the second half is this picture of our story and how our story Really should be lived out through God's story. And so it's a beautiful picture. It's a great book. And I hope today that you'll get a lot from that. The first week we talked about this idea that Jesus is more. And and the fact that in everything we've experienced, Jesus is more. So if you experience Jesus, I mean joy, Jesus is more. If you've ever experienced uh, happiness, Jesus is more. Peace, Jesus is more. And so this idea that The more we have of Jesus, the more we have of what the life that God wants us to have, this life more abundantly. And then uh, last week, Jeff did an incredible job of teaching this idea that church is made for more and this idea that you are God's um, handiwork. You are his masterpiece. And this idea that that God is writing your story through his story. And he's weaving those together and that picture of redemption, knowing that this book is one continuous story of the person and work of Jesus. And so our story is being weaved into God's story of redemption, and he's writing that on your hearts. And then today we're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, but then we're going to come back and really concentrate on 14 through the end of the chapter. And that's what we're going to kind of concentrate on this morning. So let's go ahead and read that. Follow along with me, Ephesians chapter Three, and some people have asked me, what version am I reading out of? It's ESV, English Standard Version. Um, you know, we, we actually have Bibles here that we give to you free. That's not ESVs. We're gonna switch over those eventually, but someone donated a bunch at the beginning. So we're, those are, I think, CSVs. And so, uh, or maybe the Holman, I can't remember. One of the two. And you can grab one of those in the back as well. All right, Ephesians chapter three. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That was according to the eternal purpose that has been revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that which is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to whom be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever, amen. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. God, able to separate bone and marrow and the tension desires of the heart. God, your word says, God, it will not return void. And God, we pray that the seed of the word of God will be planted in our hearts. Guard it from the enemy to be plucked up Guard it from falling on rocky ground or among weeds, um, so it'll be choked out. But God, I, I pray that it'll fall on fertile ground to give forth fruit and fruit eternally. Father, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, is my water bottle over there? Do you see a water bottle? Yeah. Okay. Do you mind getting me some water, babe? Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome. See? She's a great wife on top of being a great mom. All right. Um, all right, let's go ahead and break down. We're going to pick up in Ephesians uh, 4, uh, 4 through, I'm sorry, 14 through 19, and then we'll break it down all the way through the end of the chapter. Our big idea today is this. The church is called to love more. Okay? The church is called to love more. Unfortunately, our society, um, I think our church is known more for what it's against than what it's for. And I think that needs to change. I think there are times where you have to make stands. And, but one of the things that you saw Jesus do throughout his ministry was he loved. And he loved unconditionally. He served. And he served unconditionally. In fact, the toughest words he had in Scripture were usually for the self-righteous and the religious leaders. For those who were lost, those who were perishing, those who were sick, and those who were far away from God, um, he, he had compassion on them. And so I think, you know, this idea of loving people with the love of Christ is something we need to increase when it comes to the church. And so this idea of uh, we as a church, again, not the building, uh, but we as people, we're the body of Christ. We are called to love more. So it starts out, Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I think one of the most important things for us to love more is this idea of humility. We bow our knees before the Lord. I think the greatest strength of a Christian is this idea of humility. When you read um, in Philippians 2, probably one of my favorite scriptures about Christ, um, he says this in Philippians 2, 1, So that if you have any encouragement in Christ or any comfort from love or any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Having this mind uh, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man and being born being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, it's this idea that if we're going to be more like Jesus, we're made in the very image of God, right? And Jesus' exact representation of God to be more like Jesus, then we need to be this of a mindset of humility. And so, we need to have a servant mindset, we need to become incarnational. The idea of stepping out of heaven, stepping and taking on flesh and blood—we need to step in people's worlds where we live, work, play, are educated, and become the hands and feet of Jesus. But we have to do that through humility. And then verse 15, it talks about every family, every family in heaven on an earth. I think this reminds us that we again are not an organization. We're not a club. Okay, we're not some here you pay dues and you join. And when we talk about joining here, we talk about partnership. We don't talk about membership. Not that membership's a bad word, but we see this Paul talking about being a partner. It's his idea of overlapping. Uh, we have responsibility as, as leaders, as teachers, as those who are investing, but also the people. So it's both, right? It's, it's not an either or and, it's a both and. We uh, lock arms with one another for the sake of the gospel to advance his kingdom by glorifying God. Okay? Uh, through obedience to his great commission. And so that's this idea that we are a family. But I want to remind us, as a family, that families take time. Right? You don't have a family overnight. It takes a lot of ups and downs. It takes a lot of hard work. Um, even when you're, you're with the right woman and the right man, even when God's giving you incredible kids, it takes work. Right, It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. There has to be a commitment to community. I know for me, even as a dad, I have to uh, realize that when I get home, I don't check out, that's when I gotta check in. That's not when I get my relaxed time and get on my phone, that's the time where I have to engage. And so understanding that we as a family have to build that community. We have to be intentional about our time. We have to set aside time, sacrifice time to build that family. And, and, and that's what it takes. It takes this idea of commitment, this idea of humility. And then verse 16, it goes on to say, Paul says, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your inner being. As a church leader, there's no way that me or any other particular leader can maintain or be exclusively motivating every person on here in this per, in this place on mission. In other words, we can't be a pep rally for you twenty four seven. Now there's going to be times where we have to spur each other toward love and good deeds. I get that. There's going to be times as a as a shepherd that uh, and other leaders whether it be one of our elders or one of our small group leaders or our kids' workers or youth workers or whoever that is, there's going to be times where there's this pastoral care going on, this shepherding. But if it has to be this constant prodding, then there's an issue, right? Because we're going to talk about that. Maybe your motivation is out of guilt or duty or obligation. It's not out of love. And so we need to get that rearranged. It needs to be out of love. Paul's is proclaiming that the fullness of Jesus' love in us is and is alone the source of the fullness of Jesus to overflow through us. See what I'm saying? And so this idea that, now I'm not saying there aren't times, just like in a regular relationship, that there's times where you don't feel like doing things, right? You don't feel like love. You don't feel like doing these things. But this idea that, abiding in Christ, there needs to be this love in us that's boiling over, that that's, if you will, the fuel that fuels us towards serving in this sacrificial way and the way we live our life. And verse 17 says, being rooted and grounded in love. In other words, love is the fuel. It's the fuel that keeps you going when it comes to to serving Christ and living for Christ. This idea of rooted is this idea of an agricultural metaphor. So it's this idea that go down, your roots go down deep, you get nutrition from the ground, you get watered, right? You get sunshine. So these, all this nutrition should come from Christ in your relationship with him. And guess what? That takes time. It takes sacrifice It takes being in the Word, getting up early, cutting off things. It it means this idea that you are rooted in Jesus. Again, not out of guilt or duty or obligation or shame, but out of this motivation of God's great love for you, His great love for you. And then being rooted or being grounded is this idea of an architectural metaphor. So, Anyone who knows who's built anything, and we remember this sadly because of 9-11, but when when they were uh, recovering all that, how, how deep, I remember going to the 9-11 area when they were still cleaning it out and how they had to go, I don't know how many dozens of floors straight down it was in the ground. Why? Because it was so tall, right? So the taller the building, the deeper it's gotta go down. So it's this picture that, if you, if you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, it has to be deeply rooted down, okay? It has to be something that is a strong foundation, and this strong foundation is the love of Christ. And when he talks about this idea of being rooted in love, I really think three things can come out of that. One is this. When you're rooted in love, you have nothing to fear, because perfect love casts out fear 1 John 4:18 so when you're rooted in the love of Christ it casts out fear in other words we understand that we're saved by grace through faith and this is not of ourselves it's the gift of God okay god doesn't just give something and take it away and if we're saved by the work of the holy spirit the bible says he has given us his spirit he has put it as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And so guess what? There's no need to fear rejection by God. Now, there's times where we're going we're to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's times where we need to repent of our sins, that we've drifted from him. But this fear of, of losing what God has given to us is no... No need to fear. God has given you salvation. He has sealed you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. So, and you know what's crazy is many times when we get, when we feel this rejection uh, because maybe we've done something, uh, the worst comes out in us. Because when, we're, when we feel unloved, we, this, it tends to happen, this, the worst things come out in us. And this happens in relationships many times where we feel unloved and, and the worst comes out of it. The second thing that happens when you're rooted in love is this, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. Because listen, if we're saved by grace through faith and it's not of ourselves, we need to understand that Ted, we didn't do anything to earn it, right? And so this idea of understanding that we, don't have, we shouldn't have anything to hide. Because the reality is God sees it all. The, the scriptures tell us, that a man's ways are in full view to the Lord, and he examines all his paths, right? And so this idea that when we build in our relationship that's, that's entrenched in love, that's rooted and grounded in love, and then we begin to, as we'll see in just a few minutes, begin to expand that in, in, in community, we don't have anything to hide. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to share them. And we're trying to create a place here where it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there, right? And so this idea that you need to have that group of people that you're honest and you're vulnerable and you're authentic with. The third thing happens when you're rooted in love is nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. In other words, no comparing necessary. This is where we get in trouble, isn't it? Because we're always one up and, you know, even when you talk to somebody that doesn't know Christ or talking to them about the gospel, and you say, are you a bad person? Well, I'm better than Hitler. Well, yeah, most people are. <laughs> I mean, right? We are always one-up ourselves, right? Or we'll compare ourselves to the worst person in human history. All right? So it's an idea that when you're grounded in, in love, you have nothing to prove. You don't, you don't have to compare um, yourselves with others. You know what's crazy when I think about this? I think a lot about um, a mother's love um, because my mom was probably the first person I would open up to about something if I was having a hard time, right? Uh, because you know, uh, that love tended to be a little bit more nurturing, <laughs> a little bit more tender. If you opened up to your dad, it was probably a hammer was coming and that probably needed to happen sometimes. But, you know, it was that, that, that idea of, of nothing to fear, nothing to hide and nothing to prove. You could kind of be yourself there. And then, as we talk about this, I think this has to go naturally into what God has called us as individuals do. We, we talk about this all the time, that we exist to glorify God by advancing um, His kingdom through obedience to the Great Commission, right? Um, and so it's this idea that when we're rooted in love, then that overflow happens, then it's this idea that we're called to go and make disciples. So understanding that every person in this room that confesses Jesus as Savior and says he is the one who rules and reigns in my life and I've given my life to him, we in this room, all of us have a general calling and a personal calling. In other words, we have a primary calling and we have a secondary calling. Our primary calling is, is that to be a disciple, or if you will, an apprentice. We're to, we're to be a disciple who can make disciples. That's our primary calling. Then our personal calling, our secondary calling, is one of a kind masterpiece mission. This is where, a little bit last week, Jeff touched on this, where Ephesians 2.10, where it says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we are primarily called to make disciples. And then our personal call is that of a, uh, a masterpiece. So what does that look like? Well, it looks different for everyone. So a secondary a personal calling is under general, the general primary calling. We need to mobilize ourselves and others for this calling. When we look at this, we need to look at God's perspective. God gives us a personal calling to fulfill our primary calling of making disciples. Who can make disciples? Every disciple of Jesus has one message, the gospel, and one method, making disciples, okay? So we, as disciples, are making disciples, but how that and what that looks like is different for everyone in here. Some of us, it may be through Um, a coffee meeting that you have once a week with some ladies and you're investing in them weekly, right? Or maybe some moms that you gather around your neighborhood that they don't even know Christ yet, but you're just, you're pouring into them to share the, to put the weight of the gospel in, right? You're beginning to, to share. Others are in this room that may be pouring into students and investing in them. Others, you, your main disciples should be your kids. You spend time with them during the week to invest and, and share the love of Christ and teach them the word. Um, some of you may be doing this in a, in a whole different setting. Maybe, I know people that are in foreign countries that are there with the whole idea of working, if you will, but the whole idea of advancing God's kingdom. So what does this look like for everybody in this place? It's going to look different. Every personal calling rests on the foundations of the primary calling. In fact, the moment we build our personal calling on anything else, it becomes an adventure in missing the point. A good thing that becomes a distraction from the main thing. So when we have our primary calling we, in our personal calling, we can't let that get upside down. We need to make sure that our personal calling always is in line with our primary calling. See, my personal calling must rest on the primary calling. If we separate, in other words, if we separate missions from discipleship, then that's a surefire recipe for burnout, okay? It's gonna happen. Because you've forgotten the main thing, it's to make disciples. And all of a sudden, it becomes about you or maybe favor or something that you're doing in not making disciples see the overarching category for the church is not missions it's discipleship missions is an outgrowth of discipleship when you go deep you're going to go wide okay it's going to happen when you are filled with the word and you're filled with God's love and you're growing you can't help but tell people about it you can't help but want to serve. You can't help but want to make disciples and be influencers for the name and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. So what does that look like? If missions is an outgrowth of discipleship, discipleship is really apprenticing toward Jesus. So it's, it's not complicated, but at times it's not easy. I guess the first way is this idea of abiding. It's the idea of this. Be with Jesus. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to make disciples, you got to spend time with Jesus. We spend time with Jesus by being in his word. He's given us his word, right? He, he's given us word to teach us, to train us, to correct us, to rebuke us, right? To build us up, to build the church up. This this word of God is holy, it's infallible. It's for us. Okay? And it is one continuous story of God's redemption, a person work on Jesus Christ. It is his book. And it's also this idea of spending time in prayer, this time of being with the Father through the intercessory of Jesus, right? He is our intercessor. He is the only way to get to God. So, the fact that if you know Jesus is your Savior, you're spending time in His Word, you're spending time in prayer, and it's also this idea of being around other believers. This idea of, 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 of being around other Christians that builds you up. There's this, and we'll get it in just a minute. There's this idea of community. We, we got to have community, guys. And listen, what I've noticed about community is a lot like what I said about family earlier. It's something you have to go after. It's not gonna happen naturally. I'm just gonna tell you, enemy wants to isolate everyone in this room. And why does that is because if he can isolate you, he makes you feel like you're the only person that's dealing with that issue or struggling or has this fight or has this uh, struggle, right? And so he wants to isolate you. He wants to stand, separate you because if he separates, a house divided will fall, okay? And so that's what he wants to do. So we have to find community with one another. We gotta find that real, authentic accountability, okay? You know, one of the things our elders are doing is an extra precaution in our lives is we all have a a thing uh, called covenant eyes on our computers, and we are accountable to each other for that. And we do that because we know that this thing called pornography And other things extended out on that can be a huge uh, hurdle. It can be a huge um, off-the-cliff moment for people. We've seen it happen in our society. I just saw an article today uh, flipping through the news saying that there are about 15 states that are saying pornography is a major health issue. No joke, right? It's destroying families. It's destroying kids. Average age is about seven to nine when kids see that now on smart devices and it's destructive, okay? And what I say is if somebody keeps going off the curve and uh, takes taking the car around the curve and keeps going off the clip, put up a guardrail, right? Put up a guardrail, and that's what we're doing. We're doing that to to protect ourselves, to also set an example, but also protect our families, right? And understand that we're all men, we're vulnerable, it can happen. None of us here above that. And we need those kind of things in our life. So those are the kind of things I'm talking about. When we're talking about abiding in Christ, you do those things that build spiritual disciplines in your life. And also you become like Jesus. In other words, you put on on the lenses of Jesus. I just got new glasses. Thank you for noticing. All right. Uh, Just got them this week. It's kind of risky because I ordered them through the mail. But I saved about $400. So I, I did it through the mail. I'm like, man, glasses are expensive that was with insurance. Uh, so I got them, and they came in the mail. It was kind of risky because I didn't let my wife see me with them beforehand. So uh, I said, do you like them? She's like, yeah, I like them. I said, okay. Uh, but, but anyway, I put them on. And you know what I noticed? All of a sudden, I kind of liked the other ones better because my eyes were adjusted. But I, I started testing, and I said, no, I can actually clearly see farther. I, I went out in my yard. I could see things and read things farther away with these, but I liked the other ones better. Why? Because they were comfortable. They were what my eyes were used to, right? And so even though this is the correct prescription, my eyes had to get used to them. Guys, if you've lived your life apart from Jesus for how many years, and all of a sudden Jesus comes into your life, expect things to look differently, right? Expect them maybe not to be comfortable at times. And say, hold on, I, I kind of like going back to the old way I, way I viewed things, right? And so we need to put on the lens of Christ. The the third thing is this idea that we really, and I don't want to steal something that was from the 90s, but we need to do what Jesus would do, right? We need to do what Jesus would do where you live, work, play, and are educated. That is being the hands and feet of Jesus. You need to ask yourself, not what Rick Nicely do, what would I do here but what would Jesus, what would be his response in this moment? How would he act? Now, I'm not going to say here, don't get a, a wrong scripture of Jesus because Jesus turned over tables in the temple. You remember that? So not like Jesus was always, always Mr. Nice Guy. Don't, don't get the wrong idea here. Jesus doesn't just bow down and say, oh, it's okay. It's all going to be good. No, there's going to be times where there's tough words. But there's also, most of the time, it's going to be compassion and love, right? And so it's this idea of really living out how Jesus would live. So what I'm saying is this idea from, uh, if we're going to truly make disciples, it's this shift from discipleship as information to discipleship as formation. Teaching what Jesus commanded, listen, is different from teaching how to obey what Jesus commanded. There's two different things. So when we're teaching here, we're not just teaching for information, we're teaching for transformation. We're teaching that we believe that unless you obey the word of God, you're never gonna be transformed by the word of God, okay? And so this idea that we go from teaching to practice to community through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what it looks like. So it's this idea of understanding the word of God, right? Right? You you hear the word of God, you believe the word of God, you practice it, right? And you obey the word of God. You live it out in community through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians, the last part of this, Ephesians 16 through 21, is this idea from shifting from guilt, from more guilt to more love. So in other words, it, it can't be out of obligation, it can't be out of duty, It can't be out of shame. It needs to be out of love. Our idea of living for God. As we marinate in the love of God for us and in us, it will overflow through us. His love is the only sufficient motivation for our mission for more. To express the fullness of Jesus to others, we must have the fullness of Jesus in us. We grow in this fullness by being a disciple, by being disciples ourselves. It's this idea of be. We make disciples, so we make disciples of others. We do. And we go wherever God calls us, this idea of go. This is the primary general calling all disciples have in common. And our personal you calling is, on the other hand, distinguished among all the disciples. So the personal calling only finds its significant significance within the context of our primary calling to make disciples who make disciples wherever we go and eventually plant churches. And that's been our heart from the very beginning. Make disciples that make disciples that plant churches. This is our idea and this is God's word. This is his idea. And verse 18 talks about this idea of understanding the depth of God's love. The breath, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ. Did you know, I think the stats are somewhere around 90, 95% of the ocean is unexplored and about 99% of the uh, oceans, uh, that's the ocean, but about 99% of the ocean floor is unexplored. Think about that for a moment. That's unbelievable, right? I mean, we, we see the ocean and it, but 75% of our, our world's covered by water. So all the oceans and sea, 90, 95 plus percent is unexplored. That's unbelievable. I, I think about this moment. I was in Egypt at this time. I was on the Red Sea. And we had went there for about seven or eight days to work with some missionaries. They were in close countries, so they weren't really missionaries. You know what I mean? They were, uh, they were people who served the community through businesses and stuff. And we were there to help them with the church. And so we served for about eight days. Well, they treated us and they took us down to the Red Sea for a couple days, a place called Dahab. And we went down there and we got the snorkel uh, on the Red Sea. Now, you find out later that it's infested with sharks, which is great, you know. But, uh, but at the moment, I didn't know, which is really good. And so I got the snorkel. And then there was this team of Germans who, who their business was, they spent there about eight or nine months there. And they taught people how to snorkel. They taught people how to scuba dive. And so within a short time, they, they taught Michelle and I. Now, remember this foam, very funny moment that we were trying to do it. And Michelle was struggling a little bit with her breathing apparatus. She has asthma, so it kind of freaks her out a little bit. And I, we kept doing it. I kept trying to encourage her. And then I'm looking around for one moment, and then I, I looked down, and there she was sitting on the bottom, which all worked out. So, but um, as, we're, as we're going along this place, it's called the Blue Hole. It's world-renowned. Uh, for snorkeling because it's um, no one's actually ever found the bottom of it. People have died trying to find. I think it was over 900 meters deep, and they still had not found the bottom. Um, and as we're going along, there's corals and just every kind of tropical fish you can think of. I've never been to Bermuda, but I can only imagine it's something like that or more. And it's just it's beautiful. And I'm snorkeling along the way. Well, uh, this guy who was with us, he, had, he was one of the diving instructors. He had these little gold fins on uh, just a little leather necklace, and it looked like real gold, so I was asking him about, oh, it's just something. He kind of scooted around his answer, and and his buddy says he won't tell you what those are for, and I said, well, what are they? He said, well, he's the German free dive champion, and I was like, what? He goes, yeah, he goes all the way down, you know, about 80 or 90 meters on one breath, and goes, if you don't know what that is, that's about 270 feet, so that's pretty deep, uh, so he goes down in one breath, and there's weighted con and unweighted, and he's unweighted. And he was trying to go for the world championship within the next uh, few years, and he could hold his breath for over five minutes. So I was like, and so he showed off that a little bit uh, while we were on our uh, snorkeling tour. And so we're snorkeling, and you know, we're only about uh, just on the edge. But then the blue hole was right there. So he's snorkeling, and I watch him, and he's going down and down and down. Next thing, I can't see his head. And this is crystal clear water, so he's probably down 75 or 100 feet already, and then I can't see his arms, and I can't see his torso, and then his, his legs disappear, and then eventually his fins disappear. And I'm just floating, watching. In 20 seconds, 30 seconds, minute goes by, 90 seconds, like two minutes later, here he comes. I can see a little bit of his head. And he comes all the way up, right? And I thought, that, I, I think about that guy in that moment when I think about the breath and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ. There are guys who are like me that could just kind of stay on the surface and maybe hold their breath for about 10 or 15 seconds, maybe 30, you know. But then there's these guys that could go down for minutes at a time and understand the depth and breadth and the enormous amount of exploration in this ocean. And I just think about how we many times, we, we give up on when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, when when God wants us so much more. He he wants to teach us there's great depth and breadth and and satisfaction in Him and our relationship uh, with Him. And it's this idea of understanding, it surpasses even knowledge. Verse 19 says, it surpasses even knowledge. What does that mean? Now, I think what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean some hocus pocus thing, right? It's not some like, oh, it's a special little teaching over here and only we understand it, right? No, no, I think what it really means is this idea that it's not just a data dump. What do I mean by that? I mean it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just understanding. It's experiencing. Let me try to uh, explain what I mean by that. It's not just a data dump. It's actually experiencing Jesus, Jesus, so, if, if I were here to tell you that there was this moment just the other day um, that um, we were going through a storm, and my daughter and I were driving down the road, and in this storm, we, I got soaking wet, and I got in the car, and I'm riding around the storm, and this moment where I turn the corner, and I see this beautiful full rainbow. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, it is bright, Every color. It's across the sky, and it's all the way across, right? And then I took a picture of it, and I showed it to you. you would be like, okay, that was nice, yeah. That's the knowledge. It's like showing you a picture. But when you experience it, when you see it, it's like a sunset going down on the ocean. When you see it in the brilliant colors that are fabulous, and you experience that, then you can't change someone's mind because they've experienced the love of Christ. It's not just knowledge. That's not a piece of paper. It's just not a photo. It's literally experiencing who God is. And what we see ultimately is we see this in Paul. See, Paul was driven by something I want to call, or I heard someone call GPS. What does that mean? It means this. First, that God um, has given us this idea of Gifting. He's given us all a gift, right? He's gifted us all different ways. Paul, he's gifted him as a teacher, uh, as an evangelist, as a church planner. It's this idea of going around, making disciples, and investing in leaders to plant other churches. But guess what else? It was also through his passion. What was his passion? His passion was for to see the Gentiles come to Christ and the gospel be proclaimed in the Gentile world, right? and see the fullness of the mystery, if you will, of Jesus, the church, being born, where every tongue, tribe, and nation would be represented there. And then, ultimately, it was through his story. So it's gifting, passion, and story. And you know, Paul's story is a story of suffering. He suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. Now, not everybody in this, everybody in this room will suffer for the sake of the gospel. But for Paul, that's what it was. It was a suffering. And so understanding when God's calling you to this personal calling, think about your gifts. Think about your passions. When I say passions, think about what makes you brokenhearted, but also can make you angry at the same moment. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about when we talk about passions, okay? Sean and I have a heart for adoption. It breaks our heart, right? We have passion for that. But we also have angry when we see kids being you know, abused or neglected, right? And so it's this passion. And then ultimately, our story. What does your story look like? I know there's people in this room that maybe their marriage was on the brink of divorce, but Christ saved their marriage. Guess what? You need to use that story for God's glory, and for making disciples. Others in this room have dealt with addictions. And guess what? God has rescued you and redeemed you, and you need to use that story to make disciples. Others in here have been saved out of self-righteous attitudes, right? We grew up in the church, and we thought we were all good, and God rescued us and broke our hearts. And so you need to use that story. Whatever it is, God wants you to use that. So I have a big question for you this morning. It's this. Are you living out your calling in the context of community that is grounded and rooted in love? Are you living out your calling in the context of community, grounded and rooted in love? Because listen, the gospel is made to be lived out in community. You were designed and wired for relationships. You can't do this thing exclusive to yourself. It doesn't work that way. You have to practice the gospel with yourself and with others. That's how it works. But you have to be grounded and rooted in love to do that. Not of duty, not of obligation, not of shame, but in the love of Christ where it overflows and you can't help but do what you do. We're gonna close in um, a song this morning. And as we do that, I wanna ask you that same question. Are you living out your calling? But also say this, we're gonna have a baptism this morning. Some of you guys here may not know Jesus. You want to put your faith in Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. Jesus has sent, I mean, God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, so he would buy us back, redeem us from our sins, and put us in right relationship with his Father. And through that relationship, the Bible says we must bow our hearts or repent and confess Jesus and Jesus alone. And when that happens, the Bible says we'll be born again. And we're given his spirit now to live and make disciples, as God's called you to do. Or maybe here this morning, you just need somebody to pray with you. We wanna pray with you, encourage you. Whatever it is, we, we wanna help you. So there'll be a couple couples down here up front when we close in prayer. If you wanna come and pray or even spend some time here at the altar praying, you can do that. Let's stand. Father, thank you so much for our morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you've called us, you've equipped us. God, you've given us a gift, you've given passion, you've given us a story to do your work. And God, I pray that as we go, God, we would truly make disciples. In Jesus' name. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.